I know all of you came today to hear a sermon on deacons and elders. And I know that's exciting for you. But listen, if we're going to be people of God's word, and we're going to be able to preach at this church like we do the whole counsel of God, or at least we want to, we try to the best we can, then what an elder does and what a deacon does is really important. So this is going to be a very different message for me. We're going to kick off the Jonah series, Lord willing, next weekend. But I wanted to give one week, particularly during our nomination time, and I'll explain that briefly in a minute, to really focus on board leadership, in particular the joys and the responsibilities of church leadership. Cornerstone is congregationally ruled, board-led, staff-run. That means this, the congregation, the membership of the congregation, votes on things like the church budget, like the hiring and the firing of the lead pastor. By the way, ladies, you are looking remarkably thinner. Some of you aren't getting why I'm saying that. The board takes the responsibility very serious that the church gives them. And they lead us through changes that we need to do. They lead us through a lot of what I'm going to explain in this message. And then they give assignments and they trust the staff to run what they have been entrusted by the congregation to do. The staff run that to the best of our ability. So we're a congregationally ruled, board-led, staff-run church. So every year, and around this time of the year, we nominate men from our membership that will lead to the appointment of deacons and elders, and they each serve three-year terms. You can serve two of them consecutively, and then you need to take a step off for one year. And they lead our church, the deacons and elders, along with the pastors, but what do they do? What are the specific responsibilities of a deacon or an elder? What qualifies somebody to be part of the leadership of the church, particularly on the board. And that's the aim of this message. I want to walk through first the deacons, and then we're going to walk through the elders, and I'm going to hopefully bring this alive for you so that it's not an academic sermon, because I don't really think any of us would want that or relish that. Hopefully we can bring this alive, and you're going to be able to get another and new, possibly, appreciation of what is a deacon doing? What is an elder doing? Well, let's start with the deacons. You have your Bibles open to Acts chapter 6. When you think of a deacon, now look at me for a second. When you think of a deacon, I want you to, in your mind, get used to finishing this statement. Deacons, ministers of mercy. Now, I'm going to tell you, I'm pretty sure, some information from the Bible. I'm going to show you a lot from the Bible that's going to probably rework your understanding of deacons. When you think of a deacon, what comes to your mind? I want you to answer that. Some of you are like, I don't know, I've never even heard of the word before. I'm new to church, that's fine. But those of you who have been here for a while, and if you are new, great. This is awesome because I get a blank slate to be able to write on it with the word of God. So when you get to thinking of a deacon, what comes to mind? Now listen, maybe it's the face coming to mind of somebody who's always quietly helping to clean up the church after an activity. Maybe that's what you think a deacon looks like. Or one who doesn't really like theology. They don't really teach much, if ever. They just like to serve. That's a deacon. 
Or maybe you picture a team of deacons organizing and running church workdays or making sure repairs are done on the facilities or perhaps organizing church picnics. Listen, I'm going to correct all of that because none of that is under the biblical understanding of what a deacon is. Is that really what a deacon does? Is that really how a deacon builds up the church? Well, it seems to me a good place to begin is, is, is uh, Acts chapter 6. And as you're turning there, if you haven't yet, let me say that though the word deacons is not used here, it's generally accepted by many commentators, and it was almost virtually accepted by all the early church fathers that deacons are in mind here. And what's happening when we get into Acts 6, you're going to need to know this, you're going to read it right off the bat, what's happening is the church is explosively growing. It's growing so fast, by the way, in Acts, you get a little bit of the numbering of the church. 3,000 men were added to the church this day, or 5,000 men added to the church. And then you bring in the women, and you bring in the children, because often whole households were, were getting saved. Listen, it wasn't very far into Acts when they stopped making the numbers. Luke couldn't keep up. It was growing so fast, you couldn't keep track of the numbers. So there's this there's explosive growth that is happening, but watch this, and you'll appreciate this, and if you've been on leadership, you're going to understand this. With rapid growth come a lot of problems. And here we go, verse 1. Now in these days when the church is just exploding, early church, when the disciples were increasing in number... A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. The Hellenists, now you need to know this, this is going to flesh out what you're reading. The Hellenists were those Jews who had chosen to assimilate into the Greek culture or chosen to allow the Greek culture to assimilate into their lives. They were born often outside of Jerusalem. They, listen, they're not from Jerusalem. They were back there celebrating the holy days and the holy feasts of Israel, and they're getting saved. They're outside of Jerusalem. They live spread around the Roman Empire. They're here in Jerusalem, and a lot of them came back to live out their remaining days. Listen, it was considered by the Jews a blessing to die in the land of Israel. That's, by the way, still true today. So you got the Hellenist Jews. These are kind of Greek-assimilated Jews. And now you've got the Hebrew Jews, which were those who resisted Greek culture, who looked at Greek culture as being evil, and they would not allow it into their lives, and they would not allow it into their families. So you've got these Hellenist Jews, and you've got these Hebrew Jews, and they're not mixing very well, and some of the men are dying, and their widows, Hellenists and Hebrew, they're not being taken care of the same in their view. Now this is what's happening. Now, I want you to see this. Now, you got to listen. A class distinction began to rise up between the Hellenist Jews and the Hebrew Jews. And it's kind of like racism. And accusations began to fly. The Hellenists felt that their widows weren't being cared for like the Hebrew widows were. 
And all of a sudden, this starts to reach the apostles' ears, and they immediately, they call the whole church together. Now listen, this is a pretty big church at this point. Some would estimate 20,000. Can you imagine Cornerstone being 20,000? And there's a little bit of a race divide going on in our church, and so the board calls everybody together, and here's the surprising part, and all of you show up. That would be really interesting. We'd faint. Well, look what it says. And the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples. Listen, that's not the 12. It's the 12 who are summoning. They summoned the full number of the Christians, 20,000, and said, quote, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now, what does that mean? Because that kind of sounds derogatory. To serve tables? Well, serving tables was taking the apostles away from their primary ministry. And so they're saying it is not right. Means it's not pleasing to God. We're having to forfeit the preaching of God's word to serve tables. Now right there, stop for a second. Are you ready? Some of y'all, you might not even agree with this. What I'm about to tell you, but I think you need to begin seeing this in Scripture. There is nothing, listen, there is nothing more important than the preaching and teaching of God's Word in prayer. Nothing. When churches begin to let the teaching of God's Word, gospel-centered, Christ-exalting teaching, when they begin to let that slip and it's no longer coming into their pulpits and out of their pulpits and what's filling the pulpits and the messages are politics and stories and narratives. Listen, when that happens, Jesus will begin to lead that church. And that church will go mainline or they will close their doors. And it's happening all around the east end of the Lehigh Valley. They were having to take care of these complaints, having to watch over the widows, which is a glorious privilege. It's not a burden, but it was taking the apostles away from their preaching, taking them away from the prayer of seeking God's direction. And they said, it is not right. It's not pleasing to God. not right that we should give up the preaching and the word of God to serve tables. Now to that, to us, in our modern ears, that sounds like a waiter or a waitress at a restaurant, right? I mean, where else do we say serve tables other than maybe at home? But it's the same context. It's around food, setting the table. But that's not what that meant. Now listen, this is a corrective. for You ought, you ought to be really writing this into the margins of your Bible because to serve tables was a financial phrase. It referred to the collection of funds. That's what this means. It has nothing to do with food. It has nothing to do with cooking a meal and bringing it out to a table. It has everything to do with the collection of benevolence or the giving of monies. It's what was happening as people were selling land and bringing it and laying it at the apostles' feet. But now they've got to manage this money. Now they've got to delegate this money. And it was taking them away from, and this is, by the way, chapter 5, 
preaching of God's word and prayer. And somebody recently hand me a check for thousands of dollars. Wanted, they heard a need in our church. They heard of a need and they immediately felt prompted, he and his wife, to give to that need, to meet that need. So they wrote this check and brought it to me. Now listen, what I do with that money, all I did was I get it to the right person. Because it's not my job to manage the money. It's my job to preach and to lead this church well, to lead us into prayer. Listen, this is what's happening with the apostles. So up to this point, the apostles were handling the money. But the church was 20,000 people. The money was coming in because the benevolence needs were so great. They had grown to the point that the apostles then decided, and look at your text, to choose men to serve tables, meaning this, to oversee the distribution of provisions. By the way, the word serve here, this is so interesting, is actually the root word for deacon. Now listen to this. And it means to thoroughly raise up dust by moving in such a hurry. That's how the word was used. In other words, a deacon, immediately, we're, we're learning this, a deacon is somebody that when they see a need, there's something in them that responds so immediately to that need that it almost proverbially raises a dust because they're moving to meet it so quickly. Now notice the character of these seven men that the apostles had chosen to serve tables, collect the benevolence, the monies. Verse 3. Pick out from among you seven men of good repute. They had to have a good reputation. Full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. So they're appointed by the apostles, and they had three character qualities that they were looking for. They weren't, now listen, watch this. Because this is, a, this is a killer for modern church thinking when it comes to deacons. Watch this. They weren't to be chosen for their proven experience or financial wizardry or their personal assets. It was because they had a good reputation with people, both in the church and out of the church. They were filled by the Spirit and they were wise. Now listen, these were godly men. And as the early church organizes itself, Paul begins to write to Timothy, who is a young pastor at the church of Ephesus, let me expand these three qualities for you. And he writes it in 1 Timothy 3. If you want to turn there, you can, or you can see it on the screen. And Paul now expands this. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So what we're learning here is this. Deacons are godly men. Now listen, watch this. This is a corrective. They're not less spiritual than elders. 
They're not less spiritual than elders. They're not the church's janitors. Now, this is huge. They're not the building maintenance committee. Nor are they the church's labor union force that does all the work. Listen, they focus immediately on relationships, and they do it through acts of service. Their focus is to oversee the practical and the material needs of the, the believers in a church. They visit and they help the poor. They, they help the jobless. They visit the sick. They love the elderly. They, need, they meet the needs of the widows. They manage the collections of monies and goods. They distribute them wisely to those in true need. They counsel and guide people through life's challenges. Listen, in short, they operate like the social workers of the church church modeling God's compassion his mercy and his love to the church because they're ministers of mercy now when the Roman persecution broke out against the the church the early church they broke into one particular church and this is historical this is fact because they thought that they're going to get all of these treasures that they were going to loot the church so they believe there are all these treasures in the church so they break into the church the roman prefect demanded laurentius the deacon quoting show me your treasures at once here's what happened laurentius pointed at the widows and the orphans whom they were feeding and supplying. And he says, and I quote, these are the treasures of the church. They didn't have anything else. That's a deacon's mindset. See, listen, if you thought a deacon was somebody that when the toilet is not working right, you go find and it's their job to fix, you don't understand biblical deaconry. And if you thought a deacon was somebody that you handed a benevolence check to and said, can you make sure it gets into the funds? Well, you're sort of there. You're kind of getting it because their job is to handle the money wisely. But that's not all of what a deacon does. They don't just sit in meetings. In fact, meetings are only the starting point to actually execute the ministries that they're about. And the ministries are the ministries of mercy. They assist the elders, but they're more than assistants. They're partners in the work of God. Now listen, when these seven men, Acts 6, were raised up and appointed, I want you to read what verse 7 says. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. There is something necessary about deacons understanding what God has called them to do, partnering with the elders that can cause the church to explode. Well, what do the elders do? Now, you ready? We've reworked in your mind. Ready? Deacons, you've got to finish it in your mind. Ministers of mercy. Don't just say deacons without your mind finishing it. Because their whole job, their whole life, their whole calling is about administering the mercy of God to the people in the church. They are to take care of them. But what do elders do? And I want you to finish this in your mind. They're the shepherds of the church. Deacons are the ministers of mercy. Elders are the shepherds of the church. So when you think of an elder, are you imagining, or when you think of the elder group of a church, are you imagining some shadowy group of policymakers that that pull the strings behind the church, the powerful elite of a church? 
Maybe you're thinking the CEOs or the corporate executives of a church or the advisors to the lead pastor. Listen, those pictures of elders are vastly different. They are horribly different than the biblical picture of an elder. Elders, by the way, are also called overseers and pastors. Did you know that? Overseers and pastors. Elders lead and protect the church. Now, I'm the lead pastor of Cornerstone. It means I'm the main preaching elder. But I work with a group of elders for the building up of our church. And some of those elders are on staff, but most of them aren't. So listen, you've got elders, and some of us go by the name pastors. Some of us are employed, and some of us aren't. But we're all elders on the elder board. And if you want to understand the office of an elder, what their qualifications are, well, there you go. Back to 1 Timothy 3 again. And Paul says to Timothy, If anyone aspires, verse 1, to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. Now I'm going to show you something here that ought to be extremely surprising to a lot of us. These qualities, now are you listening? These qualities are not at all extraordinary. Now some of y'all are going, how could you possibly say that? This looks like the perfect Christian man. Listen, they're not at all extraordinary, meaning that every single one of them but one of them are repeated throughout the New Testament as a requirement for every one of us believers. Wow, the elders are like the super elites of the spiritual. That's why they're appointed and put onto a board. That's, at, that's not at all accurate. These are men that the congregation recognized that God appointed and have been entrusted to lead the church well. They are in serious need of God's grace. They're not extraordinary men. They're ordinary men. And the only difference, now watch this, the only difference between the list of qualifications for an elder and the list of qualifications for a deacon, there's only one, the ability to teach. That's it. Now, is this surprising? I know a lot of churches that think of the deacons as they're really not the spiritual people. They just like to do a lot of serving. And the elders as they don't really like to do a lot of serving, but they're the ones that study the Bible the most. Listen, that's not the biblical picture. And that, if that's true in any church, there's got to be a massive biblical correction to it. The deacons are godly men. The elders are godly men. They're an ordinary group of men. These are not... 
elders, these are not super spiritual white-collar men while deacons wear the blue collars. Yet Paul lays a heavy burden on the shoulders of elders throughout the New Testament. And it can't get any heavier than when he addresses a group of elders in Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Beautiful passage. He writes this. Pay careful attention to yourselves, he's speaking to the elders of Ephesus, and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. You see that? Elders, overseers. To care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Now listen, it doesn't get weightier than this. If you've ever been an elder of a church, if you are an elder of a church, if you're ever going to be an elder of the church, listen, and when you're appointed to that office, there is a weight that is going to come onto your shoulders because you, along with us who serve in that position, are charged by God to take care of his church. It's his most precious possession. And he says, here, take care of it for me. That's tough. How precious is it? Well, he had to buy it with his own blood. How much did God pay for the church? He paid for it by the blood of his son, meaning his son had to die for the church. This is his blood-bought possession. It's his treasured possession. And he says, here, elders, take care of my church. Manage it well. And pay attention to yourselves and to the flock. And this is where the elder is shepherd, flock, where it comes into play as they pay attention to all the flock. So what do elders do? I'm going to give you four ways, four headings of what elders do, and there's lots of uh, sub-points to them. But here we go. You ready? Here's, here's what you want to Here's how you pray for your elders. Elders are to feed the flock. How do you do that? Handing out money? Not literal. You know, hand out soup cans. That's not what it means. It means the feast from the Word of God. Do you know what happens when you sit in a church for years that no longer preaches the depths of the glory of Christ through His Word? If you've been to a church like that, if you go to a church like that, if you've been sitting under preaching that's narrative only, Fun, lots of stories, a little political jargon here and there, and really not doing anything but paying lip service to the Word, God, word of God. I'm going to tell you exactly what's going to happen inside of you. If you are a believer, your soul is going to begin to be emaciated. It's going to begin to starve. It's going to begin to shrivel. And watch, this is what's going to happen. If you then find your way to a church that does preach the word of God and preaches it in a way that connects to your life, all of a sudden it's going to feel like God hooked up a fire hose to your throat and shoved down gallons of life-giving water. We've heard that over and over and over as people have come here from liberal churches. You feed the flock through God's word. Now here's what happens. And you just experienced it. When you come here and we begin to sing. And you begin to focus on these lyrics. There's something that begins to shift in us. And all of a sudden I'm going to put it in this imagery. It's like what Denise does. 
when she cooks an incredible meal for her family, for us, and you can smell it when you come into the home and you glance in the dining room and there on the table is the best of our plates and all the food that's steaming and smoking and piping hot begin to draw our eyes to it. Listen, that's what worship does. Worship sets the table so that you want to get there, that your spiritual salivary glands begin to secrete. You begin to yearn for, I can't wait to eat the feast. The feast is not the music. The feast is the preaching. The feast is when the preacher, whoever it is, begins to break open God's word and begins to to teach it to you and your soul begins to fill up so that you walk out of here satisfied. That's how it works. If you're in a church that has the music, sets the table, but doesn't draw you to dine and to feast, you walk out dissatisfied, you will suffer spiritual hunger pains. Elders are to feed the flock. Now listen, that doesn't mean that every elder is to be teaching at all times, and in fact, some do more than others. Let the elders, 1 Timothy 5, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. There's a distinction. Some labor in preaching and teaching. That would be me and Pastor Tim and other, or Pastor Matthew, Pastor Tim and other elders, Dan Long. But then others really don't do a lot of teaching. They do more of the ruling. They do more of the managing. They do more of the getting into the lives of the people, which we're about to read more of. So elders feed the flock. But elders also rule, number two, or they lead the flock by governing and managing and caring for the church. This is what Titus 1, 7 says. The elders are overseers. Listen, they are God's stewards. Did you know that? The elders are God's stewards. You know what the steward is? That was the person they put to be the manager of a household. That was the chief servant that the master installed. You're the steward. Your job is to manage my household. Elders have official responsibility over the whole local church. They teach and they preach God's word and they encourage and sometimes discipline the saints. They visit the sick. They pray for their healing. They guard right doctrine. They protect the church from false teaching. Listen, they examine my teaching. They examine my preaching. And sometimes they have to come up to me and say, you know what, let's talk about that message because there was something you said I'm not sure really was right. Well, that's the way they ought to work. Thirdly, elders are to help the weak. And in doing this, they've got to be available to visit the sick. They comfort the grieving. They counsel the struggling. They pray for the flock. They labor to reconcile struggling marriages. Fourth, elders are to be hard workers. Again, Acts 20, verse 35, Paul says, To the elders, in all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, look the pronoun, we must help the weak. So elders, you got to be hard working. You can't be lazy. Listen, you can't let eldering crowd out, be crowded out because your life is too busy. Listen, that's not what it means to elder. So listen, when you've got people that you've appointed church to be in an elder position, let me tell you what's going to happen. It happens almost nearly every time. You ready? This is so patternistic that it bears me telling you this. This is a warning. 
almost every time something of a crisis erupts in their life. This is nearly unavoidable. In fact, I'm telling you, I cannot remember a single time that a man came onto the elder board and did not suffer crises in his life. And all of a sudden, his job puts him in a new position, and instead of 45 hours, they're demanding 70 hours and traveling, and they're useless to the church. Or their children stray away from God, and they need to get back to their children so much that they're useless to the church. Or in some ways, they get a heart attack. We've had that happen. Or they get cancer. And they need to really pull away from eldering to focus on their health. Listen, something happens in every man who becomes an elder because the devil hates him. That's how you pray for your elders. They're to be hard workers. And there's a reason why there are so few good elders or strong elder boards in churches across our country. It's because, honestly, elders tend to be spiritually lazy. They're happy to let others do the work to fulfill their responsibility. They've got to be among the hardest workers in the church. Thank God for the men that come on this board. And the Apostle Paul referred to himself as a fellow elder. He encourages elders in 1 Peter 5, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Now listen, deacons are never once instructed to govern the church, not once. They're not governors. The elders are. The elders pray for the sick. The elders guard the flock from false teachers. The elders teach the word of God. They carefully exercise church discipline, not harshly, instead clothed in humility. They're not to be arrogant. They're not to be aloof. They're to be humble. They're to be gentle examples to the church. They're to help the needy and be generous as servant leaders of the church. Listen, serving on a church board, it's neither glamorous or easy. And over and over, we have seen great difficulty come into their lives. And I want to impress on you the following statement that John MacArthur once made. He said this, there isn't a leadership level made up of elders and pastors, and a service level made up of deacons, and a spectator level made up of all other believers, there is no audience in the church. We're all in the ministry. We're a family. And every single believer, elder, deacon, parishioner, pastor, we all got a responsibility to live out. So how can you, and here's how I'm going to end this sermon, how can you, the congregation, be a blessing to your deacons and to your elders? I don't know why more pastors don't preach on the text I'm going to tell you right now. We're not going to labor on it long either. But look what it says. And there's nothing for me to be ashamed of by telling you this. It's the word of God. It says, obey your leaders, church, and submit to them. Now listen, time out for a second. Look at me. Legalistic, abusive churches quote this. So there is discernment. You must exercise discernment. Are the leaders of your church preaching the word of God? And are the leaders of your church loving? 
That's your job to evaluate us. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. There's going to be an account that elders and deacons and pastors give. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So how can you be a blessing to your deacons and your elders? Elders and pastors have a responsibility to care for your souls. And you, the congregation, are to allow them to do this with joy by submitting to that care. Listen, if there's a time where we come to you and we tell you, listen, we want to see you get involved in church. You've been given a spiritual gift, and it's lying dormant in your life. Your response ought to be prayerful discernment, not rebelliousness, not defiance, not irritation, not anger. It ought to be, you know what, let me see if God led you to tell me that. And let me examine my life with your help. That's how you shepherd and you care for the souls of people. If you ever wonder, how did that man ever even get on the board? Well, instead of slandering and gossiping and in your mind criticizing, pray for them and find a way to encourage them. If you disagree with a decision that the board makes, and sometimes we don't make the right decisions. Sometimes we don't make good decisions, and sometimes we don't make them in the best way, and we don't communicate them very well. We're a faulty, fallible group of men, and when you see that happening, instead of complaining to others, listen, come to the elders, come to the deacons, come to your pastors, and pray with us, and point them out. If you don't feel like we're communicating well or that you don't have enough say in these matters, then just call one of the board members, ask them to visit you, talk through your concerns with them. If you have a need or if you know somebody of a need that has a need in your church, then let the deacons know. I've actually had people angry at me because I didn't somehow psychically know that they had a need and i'm said well you never told me well it doesn't matter if you're in prayer god would have told you and i'm like really did god tell you that you're being a jerk right now i didn't actually say it all right that was a joke didn't actually say that in my mind i might have If you're struggling in your marriage or your family, if you're struggling with sin, then listen, approach an elder or a pastor or one of our wives, ladies, and let us come around you in prayer and counsel and support. That's how you bless. That's how you bless your elders and your deacons. Well, let me ask you this. When's the last time that you wrote a note or made a phone call or personally took a deacon or elder aside and thanked them for serving our church? When's the last time you've done that? I'm going to listen to this one very carefully. Don't, you don't need to do that to me. I'm going to speak for Matthew and Tim. You don't need to do that for us. A lot of you do that anyways. How about your elders and the elder board and your deacons? When's the last time you've done it? Have you ever invited a board member and his wife over to dinner for no other reason than to thank both of them? Wives sacrifice when their husbands are, are leading well. Thank both of them for the hours each week that they give on top of their jobs. And when we ask you, now listen, when we ask you to serve in a ministry, 
When a deacon or an elder comes to you and asks you, truly, prayerfully, consider it with a yielded heart. For both deacons and elders are given the task of managing the household of God. It's not the physical structure of a church. It's the believers that make up the church. And when you are asked to serve on the board, prayerfully consider it. And if you say, yes, serve with excellence, you're going to be held accountable by God one day for the care of his flock. Listen, I really want you to hear this as I begin to close. Elders are not called to be extraordinary men. They're called to be loving, careful shepherds of the church. And deacons are not called to manage facilities. They are called to be ministers of God's mercy. So pray for them on a regular basis, church. Encourage them. And if you have the opportunity to come onto the board to serve, do it with an understanding of what the Scriptures calls you to be. Amen.